Our scripture text this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22 and going through chapter 2, verse 3. If you could follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is God's word. You can be seated. Good morning. Uh, If you are a guest with us today and you are expecting to hear from Pastor Jim, otherwise known as PJ, uh, he is out today at a marriage and family conference uh, here in Orlando. But I'm Skylar Flowers, and uh, I'm I'm a pastoral intern here at Orlando Grace Church. And uh, I'm excited to be opening the word with you today. So if you have your Bible, uh, open it to 1 Peter 1, 22 through 2, 3. 1 Peter 1, 22 through 2, 3. My favorite band is the Avid Brothers. And so if you were to pass me on the street, uh, if you, you know, maybe you're taking a walk or I'm driving and, and you see me singing along with them, uh, or you come to a red light and you look over and there I am and you see me jamming. First thing, never mention it to me. But secondly, you can pretty much guess I'm singing with the Avid Brothers. And the first song I ever heard from them that really launched my fandom into the Avid Brothers world was a song called Murder in the City. It's not exactly a very upbeat song. But the song is, a, it's told from a man that's been murdered and he's speaking to his family and he's, and he's telling them how to react to his death. And the last line of the song, at, at the end of the song, he tells them to, to go into his desk and to find this letter that he's written to them. And the last line of the song is the last line of the letter. And it says, always remember there was nothing worth sharing like the love that let us share our name." Always remember, there was nothing worth sharing like the love that let us share our name. Following his death, he points his family to the one thing, to the thing that bonded them together, right? The thing that that held them together as a family, the common source. And it's that they, they shared the same last name. They were family. This is similar to the unity that we have in the church. Because in the church, we've been bonded together as a people through a common source. Just like a last name, we've been bonded together by this common source. And that common source is that we have each been made new by the life-giving power of the word of God. And it's from this common source that we're to love one another with brotherly affection, right? It flows from the source. Just as families from their, well, sharing their last name, they love one another, we're to share this love together. But this love doesn't come naturally, Right? I don't, I don't think that takes much explanation to say this love doesn't come naturally. Rather, we're at times prone to division and envy, and that's, that's if we're thinking of others at all. And, you know, we've all heard horror stories in churches 
uh, dividing over the color of the carpet or the type of chairs to have or the type of music. And while I don't think this church is in any real danger or any present danger of something like that, we're still prone to division, right? I, I can think of, there's been times when I've been in this room where there's likely some of us here today that feel divided at this very moment from, from a brother or sister in Christ that's in this room with them. And as Jim has noted before uh, in sermons, and for many of you who've been in Orlando for a long time, you know this, uh, Satan has been so successful in this city at dividing thriving ministries, right? There's been so many examples over the years of, of thriving churches that rise up only to be split. And, and I can think that surely they thought at times, you know, there's no way that, that we'll ever divide, right? There's no way we'll ever get to such a point that we could, that this ministry could be divided. But when we lose sight of that which unites us, the disagreements, the suspicions, the gossip, they begin to grow. And instead of brotherly affection, we more resemble siblings who are fighting over a toy or, or whose turn it is to sit in the front or, or who started it. In 1 Peter 1, 20 through, 22 through 2-3, there's a lot of 2s there, Peter reminds us that since we have life through God's imperishable word, we must love one another. And we're going to see that today in three movements. So we'll see that God's imperishable word makes us new to love one another. Second, God's imperishable word purifies us to love one another. And third, God's imperishable word matures us to love one another. So we see this, this movement of growth. So first, God's imperishable word makes us new to love one another. So if you have your, your Bible and you're looking at First Peter, the book opens in verse 1. He says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Right, so he's writing to a people who are not at home in this world, whose citizenship is in the world to come. And in this setting he's writing, these early Christians have begun to be persecuted for their faith. So they're scattered throughout the world and persecution has come upon them. And in light of this, in the book of First Peter, we see this theme that recurs over and over again. Peter is writing to these people in exile so that they might be encouraged in the midst of their suffering. And the way he's going to encourage them is he's going to remind them of the future glory that's ahead of them. He's reminding them where they're headed. And he does this. He reminds them of this future glory so that they'll remain steadfast through living holy lives. They'll remain, they'll remain faithful where they're at through living holy lives. And if you look in chapter one, you see verses 11 through 12. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Right, so the day of visitation is coming. So keep your conduct pure. And these verses we're looking at today, Peter points these, these exiles to an example of that holy living. He points them to this day of visitation is coming. So what's the primary example? Later in the book, he says, above all, we're to have brotherly affection, we're to have brotherly love. So what we see is that loving one another finds a special place in the thought of Peter. But the question remains, how are we to manifest this love, right? Like we surely can't just conjure it up out of nowhere like a spell or something. And I can think of times, you know, when I was a kid and, you know, my, my sister and I had been fighting and my parents, you know, after they'd gotten onto us, they would say something like, 
you know, hug it out. You know, you just got to hug it out. And so we would begrudgingly hug one another. In these moments, there's no real love being exchanged between us. But, you know, but we're, we're feigning it. We're faking it. And, so, and, and in similar ways, is that, is that what we're being called to do here? Peter offers a different foundation for brotherly affection. He says in verses 22 through 23, the verses we're looking at today, he says, love one another from a pure heart. And this is the key, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So Peter's making a connection between our love for one another and our being made new. Love comes from the new life we have in Christ. Love flows through the new life that we have in Christ. And why is that? And the key is not simply that we've been born again. It's not simply that we've been given new life. Yes, the new life leads to love, but the key is the source of that life. It's what's made us be born again. We can love others because we've been born again by the same source, the imperishable seed. Or Peter later identifies it, he later identifies it as the word of God, the good news that was preached to us. That's what's made us alive and that's what enables us to love. The good news, the good news is what, is what unifies us. Later, he, he explains what this good news is. Or, or early in the chapter of, of chapter one, he says, he, in verse three, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And in verses 18 and 19, in contrast to the imperishable word that's made us new, that's made us alive, he says, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. The good news that enlivens our heart is the message of Jesus' death and resurrection. This is the imperishable seed that renews our life for the purpose of loving one another. Anything else we seek to give us life will fade away, right? That's why he quotes in the middle of our section, if you're looking, he quotes from the book of Isaiah and he says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. He's recognizing that these things that we seek to give us life, they may be beautiful and they may be glorious, but inevitably in due time, they're gonna wither and fade like a flower. And we know this, you know, not just from nature. We know this from our own life experiences. I mean, how many of us at, at different times have been doing something really exciting or, or we feel this, uh, we're, we're, we feel truly loved by a group of people and, and what do we say? I just feel so alive right now. I just feel so alive. But whenever this rush of acceptance of love or fulfillment kind of begins to wear off, we realize it only lasts for a moment. But Peter's pointing us to that which offers life forever. Our sins had left us lifeless with no hope of life. Family and all of its goodness could not buy, could not bring our eternal happiness. Money and all its power can't secure our eternal security. Travel and experiences and and popularity and laughter, they're, they're useless if we're dead in our trespasses. But we're born in sin with no ability to render ourselves alive. But Jesus because of the great love he has for us, he spilt his precious blood and has defeated the death that that reigns in our life through rising from the dead himself. And this is the good news, that through faith in this message, we're given new life. If we have faith in what Christ has done, then Peter tells us that we've been born again through the Holy Spirit to a living hope. 
It's not a hope that's, that's rooted in the past or, or something that, that's, that's dependent on our ability to believe or dependent on an experience that we've had. It's rather, it's, it's something that continues forever. It's a living hope. And isn't that good news? Isn't that good news that's not dependent on us, our ability to believe or something that we can do? The hope that we have in this life is that we have been born again by the word and it's imperishable, imperishable. Now we don't really use this, this word very frequently of perishable or imperishable. Pretty much the only times I can think that it commonly pops up is like when a storm's coming and we wanna stock up things that are not perishable, imperishable. Um, but even those have an expiration date, right? They have some sort of something way on down the line. It may be like 100 years from now, but in some way, they're going, and if, by the way, if something expires 100 years from now, it's probably not healthy for ingestion, but it's something way on the line. But in contrast to this, the word of God has no expiration date. It will not wither, it will not fade. It's a hope that's living and abiding forever. And it's only when we're living in light of this hope that we can love one another, right? If, we, if our hope is in things that are withering and fading, our life is gonna be consumed with maintaining them. But if we have an imperishable hope, a living hope that no matter our struggles, internal or external, then we're free to love one another. We can place the concerns of others over our own. We can serve and not expect anything back. We can give joyfully and freely because we know that, that God has us, right? We can move into relationships with people, with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that, that aren't very natural, they don't feel very comfortable at first, but we can move into these relationships because our relationship with them is not built on potential future outcomes, right? It's because we've been unified. For you parents, you can likely remember the excitement of, of picking out names for your children. And for, for us who don't have children, you, you likely have like list upon list of potential names that you're thinking of. And it's like top secret because if you let one out, you know, your sister, your cousin, or friend might take it. Um, you know, you, you think it's, you think it, you guys are laughing that you have kids, but you know, we got that thing on lockdown. All right. Often though, we, we spend all this time with, with first names and the importance of first names, but often it's the last name that's most powerful. So I, I had a friend, uh, some close friends that, uh, were unable to have children. And so they adopted two children from the same family at the same time. And when they got these children, they already had their first names. They were older, so they had already been given first names. Um, But that didn't matter, right? Because on the day that they went to the court and they were legally declared their children, they were given new birth certificates with a new last name. And it's it's that last name that'll identify them for the rest of their life. In a similar way, it can be said that God has given us new birth certificates, names that identify us with him. I'm not first a flowers who just so happens to be a Christian. No, first we're, we're, we're considered children of God. And because of that, because of this familial bond that we have with our brothers, we're, we're connected with brothers and sisters in Christ who bear the same name as us. This is what unites us. But this unity that we have in Christ it's not only established, it's not only, we're not only given new life and established through the imperishable word, rather, it's, we also continue to grow through that. And it's the imperishable word that purifies us. And so that we now turn. So second, God's imperishable word purifies us to love one another. So understanding that which links us, you know, this common bond that we share, 
It's huge, right? It's huge in understanding why we should love one another and what enables us to love one another. But there arises a little problem with that word sincere, right? So it doesn't just say love one another. He says love one another with a sincere brotherly affection. And I don't know about all of you, but I can assume that you're like me. And there's times when my love for others uh, seems less sincere and more like, well, I don't have to like them. I just have to love them. Or, uh, or I can be thinking, I, you know, I, I'm just loving them or, or putting on the show of love so that they'll do something I need or, or I can get something out of this. There's, there's some benefit to me. But if we are to truly love our brothers and sisters in Christ, that means we have to be purified. Our loves, our motives have to be purified by the word of God. And we see this in verse 22 again. And we looked at earlier, it says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. So that's the key there. It's you've purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's what Peter writes. It is, it is this obedience to the truth. It's conforming our entire lives to the word of God that purifies us. And it's from being purified to the Lord through renewing and discerning and acting on the will of God in his word that purifies us. A lot of us are familiar with, with Romans 12 where, where Paul writes, you know, do not be conformed to the, wor- to the world, but be renewed, in, be renewed in your mind. And so he says that, he's telling them, you know, renew your mind through the word. And then he immediately turns from that. And he, in chapter 12, just a few verses later, he turns to Christian unity. He sees this connection and he writes, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And then he echoes Peter, he says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. For our love to be genuine, for us to love one another, our minds must be purified through conforming to the word. You see, when our lives are, are not being conformed to the word, what do we do? We, we, we grab onto something else to to, to, to rely on that, that, that'll hopefully will give us life. And so we, and what do we do? We grasp harder than when we feel them slipping out of our hands. And, and so we squeeze every last bit of life out of them. Uh, a friend of mine was recently telling me about the world of stage acting for children. Uh, so for years, his daughter has been in plays here in Orlando. And now I grew up in and, a, and he was talking about how, how parents can be in, in this type of world. And, you know, I grew up in a, in a sports family. I have two older brothers that played sports, and I played sports. And, as you know, obviously, I played sports. And so, uh, you know, when I look at, when I think of stage acting, I think this is probably something that's exempt from, you know, the unbearable parenting that can often be characterized in sports. But he's, he was telling me these stories of, of parents that are, you know, berating their children for, for not getting parts in plays or or just being, you know, especially cruel to them, or even going so far as to lie about another person's kid uh, to the director so that their kid will get a part. And, you know, this in some ways can seem kind of crazy to us, but we can see the same pattern in our own lives. These parents see their children, the heart behind this is these parents see their children and their children's success as that which gives them life. And they'll do whatever it takes to maintain this vision that they have for their children. And of course, caring for your family is good and wanting what's, what's best for your family is good. However, even in these good things, even when our intentions for them are good, 
our love is not flowing from a pure heart. When we seek to find life and fulfillment in our families, in our, in our jobs, or, or whatever it may be, we're not truly loving them. What are we doing? We're loving ourselves. And we can treat the church like this as well. Right? We, we seek out members that are, fellow members that are, that are most like us. Uh, we serve in, in only very visible ways, ways that we know will be honored. Or, uh, you know, we, we, we want to be long, we long to be known for our gifts right? and, and for people to be drawn to us because of our gifts rather than edified by us so that others will be drawn to us. We're not loving others. We're loving others for what they offer us, right? Like, like purpose or security or convenience rather than loving from them from a pure heart. And so at the end of the day, what we're really doing is we're just loving ourselves. And so what we must do is we must do what Peter does here. We must compare how tightly we're holding on to these things that will pass, the praise of others, the convenience of others, the purpose that they give us. We must compare how tightly we hold on to these to that which is imperishable. And the way we do that is through seeing how closely these things that we're loving are aligning with the word. The section right before these verses that we're looking at today tells us how to do that. Tells us how to compare how tightly we're holding on to these things that are passing. He tells us that Christ was manifest in these last times and this is what he says. He says, so that your faith and hope are in God. And then he goes on to say, having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth. You see, it's placing our faith and hope in God which purifies us. So for us to love one another, our total reliance in life must be completely in God. We must be relying on God for for his provision in everything. And this is what it means to live purified lives. This is what it means to have a purified life. And he says, what's the purpose? What's the purpose behind such a purified love, behind such a purified life? This is the end of verse 22. He says, for a sincere brotherly love. If we're consumed by seeking to give ourselves life, then we simply do not have time for others. We don't have, if we're full of ourselves, we don't have room for others. But if we have faith and our hope in God, if we're resting in the fact that he's planted an imperishable seed in us, then we can truly love one another with a sincere brotherly love. Any, any, any improper motives, any false reliances, any fake love, they're driven out by the Holy Spirit working through the word. And because of that, we can love. And love for one another flows from a heart that's been purified through the word, by the word, through faith. And this is the hope when we join the church, right? This is the hope that, that, we've, that we have brothers and sisters who've similarly been purified by the word, right? Every other organization in the world is gonna, is gonna offer you something, right? You join it because it offers you something. I can think when I was in college and I was determined I was gonna be president of the United States. So, you know, you guys might not have heard of me now, but someday I was gonna be campaigning in Florida and so you were gonna hear of me, no worries. Uh, but, but I thought that was my calling. I was like, I, this is what I'm meant to do. And so what did I do? I joined every organization you could possibly imagine that looks good, that makes people wanna vote for you. And the more involved I got with these organizations, I would encounter people that had similar goals to me. And, and, but the thing was, is, is the more I got to know these people, the more I would begin having these conversations, whenever any time a conversation would get past just the surface level, you would see this wall come up. Now, and that was on my part too. You'd see this wall come up. Why? Because they had to protect the side of them. You had to protect this, this political side of them, right? And so there was, there was no way we could truly love one another because 
we all wanted something out of the other. And this isn't only true in politics, right? I'm sure we see this in our workplaces. We see this in kissings. We see this in, in children's stage acting here in Orlando. But in the church, this is not to be true. Every other organization, this is, this is a defining feature. But in the church, this is not to be true. When we covenant with fellow members of a church body, we're not committing to love them because they serve some end for us, but we love them because they, serve, they, ha- they share the same end with us. Right? Love for God and love for one another. And this, this love for one another should at times be encouraging and it should at times be challenging. But even in the moments when it's convicting, even these moments when, when, when the love from our brothers and sisters is challenging, we can have confidence that they truly love us. And why is that? Because their loves have similarly been purified by the word. The word of God purifies us for sincere love, but this love among brothers is not perfect in this age. And so that's what we now turn to. This is third, God's imperishable word matures us to love one another. Right, so at times, I'm sure many of us have felt this, even the church, this place that's not meant to be defined by the, by the, same, by the same competitiveness that we see everywhere else in the world, this church can still be defined less by love and more by hypocrisy and anger. Right? Peter saw this in his own day. This is why if you're looking in your Bibles and you see he, he moves from talking about the imperishable word and loving one another, and then he immediately says in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, to, that they are to put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. So he's just commanded them to love one another, and then the first thing he does is say, put these things away. And, and how are they meant to do this? Verse 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So about a month ago, uh, or I guess a little over a month ago, Brianna and I, got to go to Disney with my brother and, my, and his kids. And so he has a, about a less than a one-year-old son, and he has got to be the happiest baby I've ever seen. Now, I don't have just too, experience, too much experience, but I'm telling you, like we're here and it's really hot, and my sister-in-law's sick, and we're waiting in all these long lines, and it's, you know, it's Hollywood studio, so it's especially small and especially packed. And yet all you had to do to make him smile is you just look at him. Like all you do, you just look at him and he would just start smiling and laughing. But there was one thing throughout the day that would really set him off, right? Like if there, there was one thing that would set him off and that's if he was not being fed, right? So he's, he's a little chunky, so it's extra cute when he smiles, but it's, it's, it, it may be even a little bit, it's extra, it's extra hard whenever he's not getting his food, right? And there, in these moments, there's, there's nothing we can do to pacify his desire. We couldn't negotiate with him. We can't reassure him. We can't even distract him because he has one singular focus in those moments. He's got to get fed. And this is the same type of longing that in verse 2, Peter's telling us where to have. We're not to long, we're to long for feeding upon the word of God. The same word that, that, that has made us new, the same word that purifies us, we're to long for that it may mature us. And this maturity manifests itself in putting away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and slander. This maturity leads to love for one another. I mean, and the reason for this is because at the core of these sins that, that Peter's listing out here, at the core of them is a lack of contentment in God. This is, this is what James writes. Similarly along these lines, he writes, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. 
You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. No matter how much we seek to justify these mindsets of of anger and deceit and hypocrisy, no matter how we seek to to justify them, they're going to divide the people of God. And, And perhaps today, you've come in here and you feel totally isolated from your fellow believers. You feel totally separated from them, and, and maybe that's because, you know, you've, someone said something about you or someone's done something, and you feel that it's totally justified for you to, to, for you to harbor these feelings towards one another. Or in another way, you know, maybe you feel that if you were open and honest with what you're going through or, or open and honest with what you struggle with, that you wouldn't be loved and accepted here. And you may have really, really good reasons to be thinking that. But if, if you've come here today and you feel that you're completely dry, could it be that, that you're not feeding on the word of God? Are you feeding on the word of God? Are you feeding on the thoughts of others? Are you feeding on your own thought of yourself? Peter's telling us that, that this separation that we feel, this division that we see, it's flowing from a failure to long for the pure spiritual milk. It's a failure to long for the word of God. Our, our frustrations with others, they're flowing out of our lack of contentment in God. And so Peter tells us to put these things away through longing and drinking the word of God. And why is he so insistent on this? He's so insistent on this because it's through his word that we taste that the Lord is good. That's verse three. And it, and it harkens back to Psalm 34, eight, when he says, the psalmist writes, a taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, to taste and see that the Lord is good is to experience the goodness of the Lord in every aspect of our being. And Peter's saying that experience, that intimate knowledge of how good the Lord is comes through the word. It comes through tasting the pure spiritual milk. This is what it means to grow up into salvation. It means to continually partake and taste and see more and more in a deeper and deeper fashion the goodness of the Lord. The taste of envy and slander and deceit and hypocrisy, the taste of these, of these things that divide us, they're driven out by the goodness of the Lord. You know, there's, there's a lot of us that we probably have foods that when we were young, we didn't like. I can think when I was a kid, I really didn't like tomatoes. And then one day I just woke up and I really liked tomatoes. And I was like, I want to have things like tomato sandwiches that are just tomatoes and mayonnaise and salt and pepper on bread. You know, it still reminds me of summer whenever I, when I eat them. But it, and, and once I tasted the goodness of tomatoes, once I had this thing that I really liked, I no longer wanted that which was not as good, meals without tomatoes. And so once we've tasted the goodness of the thing we no longer wanted, we don't want, we don't want that which is not as good. We long for the goodness. And as Christians, we're to possess this same type of longing for God. And this longing can only be satisfied in his word. And why is that? Because what Peter's saying here is that it's, it's his word that teaches us of him, that reveals us, that reveals him to us in his words and actions. The taste of bitterness is driven out by the goodness of the Lord. And where God's word is longed for and cherished, there he will be. And his people will be unified in a sincere brotherly love. All right, this is, this is what Paul's writes in Colossians three fifteen through 16. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And this is what he says. He says, let the word of Christ dwell, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. If the imperishable word dwells richly in our midst, then we will love one another. Longing for the word and love for one another are essential components of the church that are beautifully intertwined. That's why we spend so much time in this church reading scripture and singing scripture and praying scripture and teaching it in the pulpit, in our community groups, and in our core seminar classes before the service, right? Because we believe that it's in the word that we encounter the goodness of the living God. And what does this do? This builds up a people who can love one another because they've been given new life, because they've been purified, because they've been matured by the word. And and that doesn't mean, you know, the, the solution for all longings in life or, you know, just come to church and everything will be okay, right? You know, just come to church and all, all longing will disappear. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that this longing, this longing for the goodness of the Lord, is, is the only longing that will be satisfied eventually. This is the promise of Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount when he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They'll be satisfied. Peter pleads with the exiles in dispersion and he pleads with us today. The word has given us life through renewal and purity and maturity by giving us a taste of the Lord. So love one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word so that we may know you. We thank you that it does not wither and age with time, but offers, offers us a living hope that continues. And as we leave here today, we pray that you would renew us together in love for one another, that by it we may, we may glorify you and the world may see that we're truly your disciples because of the love that we have for one another. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.